Your podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watch Stargate and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing better to do. So listen, here's our show. All right, welcome to Probing the Wormhole, where we discuss episodes of Stargate. I am Rose, one of the super fan hosts of the show. And I am Samantha, one of the other super fan hosts of the show. And I'm Malika, and I haven't decided whether I'm even a fan. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not after this episode. <laughs> yeah. So today we will be discussing season one, episode three, Emancipation. In my opinion, one of the top five worst episodes of SG-1. I'm glad they got it over at the beginning so we could get to the better stuff. But we got, we got some stuff to say about this one, I think. Should we start with the problems first? Well, first, let's... Uh... I wanted to say this to you guys, because I know that you guys warned me that it was going to be racist. So I was prepared. I was prepared for the racism, but it was equally sexist. Yes. Incredibly sexist, misogynistic, awful. Yeah. Agree. Absolutely historically inaccurate, as we'll get to in a second. But yeah, it was it was way worse than I thought. I was just just waiting for a whole bunch of racist tropes, but then all the sexism, even from the very, like, what, within, I think it was like the third scene, they were busting out the sexism. Really? There are three things I actually like about this episode, and they're really short, so we can start with that and then get to the bad stuff. So the first thing, I do like O'Neill's reaction when he sees her in that whole getup. The fact that he's, like, standing in the back smiling at her, I think that's kind of funny. The reference to Sam having gotten drunk and naked on another planet, I also thought was kind of cute. And Teal's whole, like, what is an Oprah? It was kind of worth it at the end. But that's about it. The ogling of Carter while she's in that blue, odd dress, which I doubt is historically accurate. Yeah, Emilika is shaking her head no, based on her research, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> yes, but I, but I did appreciate O'Neill's look at Carter. It's a, uh, a another shipper moment. I didn't quite like that everyone seemed to regard Carter as the epitome of female excellence. The tall, white, blonde woman is now the ideal that we should all look up to. Did not like that. Yeah, should we start with the racism or the misogyny or the historical inaccuracies? There's so many to choose from. <laughs> Which one? Since you're the research maven, why don't you explain to us why this was not right? Okay, so all the research that I did, because obviously at the very beginning, they say that these, the, I think his name is Abu, who, who in, in fact, it was the Blue Power Ranger. Did you guys know that? I did not know. Yes. <laughs> he went on to become the Blue Power Ranger. He said that they were Mongols, or the ghoul. Gauld brought them over. They didn't mention Genghis Khan, but I think that they're alluding to the time of Genghis Khan based on the male's dress. And they mentioned that they're Mongols, even though they mispronounced it at the very beginning. 
But the research showed that actually men and women dress almost the same. It changed based on your status in the clan, but that you added like jewelry, medals, gold, uh, different kind of embellishments to your, your outfits. The men and the women both wore trousers. They both wore like these certain kinds of jackets, uh, hats, all of that stuff is pretty much the same. So the idea that this group of this tribe of people, actually the entire population had to cover the women's faces, protect them from the quote unquote demons that would come in and, um, and attack their women by covering the women's faces. You're saying these are the women come attack them, right? Because actual Mongol costumes were the same. So wouldn't that just make it even harder to determine who's a woman and who's a man? Even the hats were the same. So it, it just, it didn't make any sense. And whatever Carter was wearing, that is <laughs> so crazy <laughs> inaccurate. Not traditional Mongol attire? No. And there was a lot of boobies. <laughs> when, she was, when she was cutting the vegetables, her boobs were all out. It was, that was rough. She, she yeah. does have a big chest that Amanda tapping. So <laughs> they, they, she needed a better brassiere, perhaps. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, it was pretty ridiculous, the outfit. And then like, so she's wearing that dress for like a couple scenes and then she's wearing much plainer clothes, presumably like everybody else. So why she was in this ridiculous getup, apparently just for the, you know, just for the cleavage shot, I think. Props to Amanda Tapping for tolerating that. I hope she told somebody off behind the scenes. She has gone on record to say this is her least favorite episode, that she hates this episode. And the writers and producers have too. So I think it, I think everyone who was involved in making it has since realized how bad of a decision it was which is good. Well, the, the writer was a woman by the name of Catherine Powers, I think. And she also wrote what many considered as the worst episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. It's called Code of Honor. Really? Yeah. Because uh, it's so funny because I was totally saying these episodes are the same. It's like, you, and that is, I, I don't, that was also episode three of TNG and also like extraordinarily racist. So yeah. yeah, don't, yeah. Malika, never watch Next Generation Code of Honor episode. It will infuriate you. Planet full of black people who like revere the white woman and want to like possess her. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> What else has this woman written? <laughs> well, she's gone on to write some more episodes of Stargate. I don't remember them being particularly bad, but but we'll we'll point it out when she's when we review one of those episodes. There's some there's a lot of different racist problems here. You have the like yeah, like Carter being the epitome of female a desirability being this white, blonde, blue-eyed woman. And he even says so, like fair skin, eyes, the color of stones, all that. Forget the many women around him. Just she's the epitome of female beauty because she's, you know, the epitome of whiteness. That's lovely. And then you also have, I mean, I felt so bad for the actors in this show. It's so hard to get cast as Asian male actors. And all they get to do is play these like racist caricatures. And that must have just sucked for them to be on set doing this. And some of them I did recognize as having gotten more roles later, like they looked really familiar. And this must just have been a really shitty 
thing to have to do. But yeah. the thing is, is that, and black actors had, and Hispanic actors had to go through the exact same thing. If you're not a white person, usually it happened mostly, well, in the 80s, 90s, I guess 70s, 80s, 90s. This aired 1997. They should have been getting away from that. Like we were already on the path to some kind of enlightenment about minority actors. So this, this is like drag us back like 20 years, so awful. But all minorities had to put up with this for black people. It was pimps and hoes and drug dealers for Hispanics. It's the migrant worker. It's, and for Asian actors, they didn't didn't even care. I mean, obviously the Mongol empire eventually because they conquered so much land, there was a lot of different Asian cultures that now that we consider Chinese and Korean and Japanese and stuff like that encompassed. But in this, they were just like any old Asian actor will do. I don't care, you know, even Naya, she's mixed. She's half Chinese. Yeah, they they just wanted actors who look Asian. I don't even think that they were trying to find people who were actually of Asian descent. As long as they looked the part, then that was fine for them. So there's the racist element where you have these poor actors who are just like, backward Asian, Asian people, we don't really care where you're from. You would just want you to look like the brown other. And it makes me think of, this whole episode makes me think of that book by Edward Said called Orientalism about how uh, Western societies view Eastern societies. So it's basically like if you're a white man in the West with no familiarity with Eastern cultures or this particular culture that you're trying to explain and you wrote what you think it's like to be a woman in that culture, this is what you'd come up with, right? Like the women are completely devoid of any kind of agency or life or ability to speak. Like everything other than Naya, none of these women speak at all. All they do is like cry and cower and hide and shovel back and forth. And at the end, when they're like, you know, quote unquote, freed by their benevolent leader, Mughal, and they take off their face coverings and everyone's happy, but they have no role in that, no agency in that. It's just another thing they're being told to do. And they kind of serve as just like props for the male characters in the show. So it's pretty offensive and it's also inaccurate. Like even in societies where there's, you know, they're very divided by gender or there's a lot of separation between genders and strictly enforced gender roles, women have like personalities and, you know, women's spaces and ways that they both resist the culture that they're in and enforce the culture that they're in. And none of that was reflected. It was just very one dimensional. Exactly. That's how I felt. And it's not just how they are perceived to the men. In the tribe, once Carter was back with the women cutting vegetables and stuff like that, none of those women had inner lives. You know what I mean? Other than Naya, who voiced her opposition of getting married to the other chieftain, that's the only statement that she made. And then she cried. That's it, right? Her mom didn't say anything. The other women didn't have any interior lives outside of the men. I was thinking of Orientalism because it is like this. Asian women have to be submissive. They can't have a voice of their own, even in private in in this. They are property of the men. And that's absolutely not how Genghis Khan believed. That's not how he was raised. That's That's not how the Mongol empire was arranged. And supposedly they were taken from that time other than... They cook. I don't even, they didn't even clean. We didn't see any cleaning. All they did was cook and cower, right? That's, that's their job. 
it, yeah. it was it was pretty disgusting yeah totally yeah. Disgusting. and also the whole like white woman comes in and tells you why your lives are bad and how you should fix them and you know everyone listens to her and now she gets to be the hero you know very dances with wolves <laughs> in that regard did i remember right that they were afraid of the gaud coming after the women folk that they decided to put them away right that was the implication, you know, so that was why it was to protect them initially. And now it's just because we like the power, basically. That obviously did not seem very realistic. It, it doesn't seem like they would react in, in, in that way. There's nothing to suggest that Gaulds actually go after just the women. I mean, why not also do that to the children as well? Right. Like if you're hiding the most or the older people, like if you're trying to, the goal is to protect the most vulnerable, it, nothing about it makes sense. Like you think the Gaulds are going to be like, oh, I guess there are just no women here. Okay, we're going to go home. Exactly. <laughs> well, explanation <laughs> uh apophis would probably have that reaction he's looking for his wife remember right well you know the thing is is that if the gawuld were were to come after the women right your whole culture they're not obviously they're not equals and we'll get into that in a second but women in the Mongol Empire, they had voices at meetings, especially the high, the wives of the high clans, clan members, they could be chieftains, they could be shamans, they could be all of these things. Why, in order to protect them, would you take away all of their agency? If the Gawul comes and threatens your, your tribe, okay, tell the ladies to run off into the forest. Like, come on. You're going to treat them like crap for hundreds and hundreds of years, just on the off chance that Gaul would show up and hide them behind rugs. It doesn't make sense. Because <laughs> those rugs, nobody can get through those. <laughs> They're impenetrable. They are, except for a tiny little Carter being a, an arsonist. Yes. <laughs> the rugs on fire. So, okay, so we have the racism, the orientalism, the sexism. Let's talk about the sexual assault that Carter suffers. Oh, yeah, there's a couple of things. The sexual assault and the complete privilege of the guys like brushing off her concerns repeatedly when she was like, hey, how about, you know, we go home instead of be guests of this culture where it's clear that they have issues with me. Why don't we just go home? Oh, but it's going to be so much fun to like look at this old culture, says Daniel. How bad could it be? And that happens repeatedly where her concern and also her concerns about Naya, even though it is very white savory, she's like, no, I put this, this girl and at risk it's my responsibility to protect her yeah not a problem let's go home and the way that she's consistently being brushed off by these guys who are not in the same position that she is yeah daniel really did not understand carter's position he was focused on learning about this other culture and i think we see that side of daniel repeatedly in the first few seasons yeah he was like very fo so focused on his interests that he puts everyone else at risk because he's so fascinated which is a very selfish thing to do and then they also leave her alone and go off and party. That was a shortcoming on O'Neill's part. And not in keeping with his general character. Like you would think he'd at least be like, hey, Tilk, you know, maybe stay out, stand outside the door or something. We didn't hear much from Tilk. He delivered the, the great line at the end. He didn't really participate much in this episode. I don't remember him at all, except at the end. He was just standing in the back the whole time. Well, it's almost like Chris Judge realized this episode was complete shit and <laughs> decided, <laughs> decided, I'm not going to say anything except that Oprah line. That's it. Right. You know, I thought that too at first, but now that you're telling me that this crazy lady wrote multiple episodes like this, 
I think that he was probably like, I have the ability to not participate in this. I, I mean, I don't know, but I would think that somebody in his position would be able to say, yeah, no, I'm not going to say that. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know if code of honor, that TNG episode was before this. I think it was, I think TNG started in eighties, 87 or 89 or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Catherine Powers, is that what I said? Catherine Powers, the writer ha had already written Code of Honor before she wrote this, this little gem. So yeah, I, I, I could imagine Chris Judge thinking, I'm not going to participate in this episode. Stocking to me how similar those episodes are. Like they both involve a non-white culture that's sort of seen as backwards. And they both involved like sort of kidnapping a white woman for their pleasure. Like it's, it's shocking that they're essentially the same story eight or nine years apart and not at all better. Well, turning back to the sexual assault, many people, people meaning fans, think that Carter was most likely raped by Turgid, which is why she had to change her clothing. And back in uh, the 90s, they didn't want to show that because this is a family show. So they, they did it by, by changing her clothing. And I'm wondering what you guys think about that. I didn't get that. I, I didn't understand why, because she was still wearing the blue getup when she escaped on the horseback. And then when she got knocked off her horse by a whistle, whatever, then she came back and she was wearing the more drab clothing. The fact that, you know, a couple scenes later, she beats the shit out of him, quite easily beats the shit out of him, not saying that she would be able to necessarily overpower her attacker, because I'm not saying that if you're in that situation that you have to, uh, you need to do whatever you can do to survive. But she doesn't strike me as the type of person who wouldn't fight to the death. She seemed like she was okay with slitting his throat at the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> on an episode from 1997. But she seemed like if the if Naya said, go ahead and kill that motherfucker, she would have been like sliced him. Her behavior would have been different, not just her dress. I didn't get that. Either. I mean, also because also part of the reason why they go in, like, you know, Mughal had said, oh, let's wait till the morning and I'll arrange a trade. And O'Neill's like, hell the fuck, no, he's going to rape her tonight. And so I think the implication was they had to go in when they did to prevent that. Yeah. So I don't think she was like raped, um, or at least that wasn't implied by the show, but she was sexually assaulted in front of us. Like she was forcibly kissed and that was, that was still like a, a sexual assault on TV. And I think that at that time, like somebody being kissed, even against there wasn't seen as sexual assault. It was seen as something else. But now it, it really hit me as like, wow, I just saw a sexual assault on family television that I don't think was, I don't think would happen today. Not just the sexual assault. I mean, he also threatened her. I mean, he was like, I'm going to rape you. I mean, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but it was backed up with the threat. She knew that she had to get out, else she would definitely be raped. One thing that annoys me about this episode also is the complete lack of recognition of the oppression of women in our own culture. Like it's always this, like we're coming from this perfect enlightened place where there is no sexism and no racism and we're teaching you how to get there, right? Like, especially in the fucking Air Force, mm -hmm. You know, the American military has an epidemic of sexual assault, an out-of-control epidemic of sexual assault that has really only in the last maybe one or two years 
been talked about as such and been addressed with some kind of accountability system because it was it's rampant and it's unprosecuted and you know it's just it's horrific and so this is where the show is situated and there's no recognition of that oh we don't own our women says Daniel and you know we you know like you can do you can be like us and you know rates of domestic violence and sexual assault in, in western countries it's like you know you're it's not there's no recognition of that at all and even from Sam who would I would expect would would bring that out and so that is really frustrating like the idea that our culture is so perfect that we get to stop evolving we get to now teach everyone else how to be like us which is what we do I mean granted you don't have to do that on other planets we do that on earth but the lack of recognition of that and the celebration of that instead of like critiquing it is very frustrating I believe that it's far more likely that Carter was raped coming up through her education and armed forces. Isn't she a captain? Yeah. yeah. So it's far more likely that she got raped than on this, yeah. this planet. In a couple of episodes, we learned about her former fiance and that, I think that becomes even more of a talking point. What did you think about Turgan's or his character? I, I thought it was just completely overdone. It, it was a bit much. Again, another stereotypical portrayal of a, of a Mongol leader. He was dumb misogynistic is cruel and yes and and very cruel extremely one-dimensional character i think they tried to build in some two-dimensional like or like when naya was like oh he's not a bad person he protects us and feeds us and he only mistreats us when we misbehave or something like that like they tried to build in the like he's not evil and then he you know he forgives her at the end before he orders her to be killed but it didn't didn't quite work i think yeah i think he was this very one-dimensional evil evil brown man i mean i think that's how he was being portrayed as like he doesn't get complexity and of course, he's also the darkest skinned Asian man in on the whole set, right? Because Mughal, he was very light skinned, right? I think that also goes to is a colorism issue. The most garbagey chieftain is the darkest one. <laughs> like also, you know, he's this feared man who like goes around and slaughters his enemies and sells their women and children, yada, yada. He has the loyalty of 23 tribes because of it. And he gets kicked his ass kicked in five minutes. And, you know, by someone who doesn't have a firearm, like no offense to Carter. She's a kick-ass fighter. I get it. And then he's like, oh, you win. Okay. Like, and so even the one thing he's good at, he's not really that good at. Sucks to no. <laughs> but then Carter was able to be kidnapped by a kid. I, I didn't quite understand that one how that jived with the the fight scene at the end. Does that mean that Abu can then kick Trigan's ass? If he's in a dress, I think that blue dress, like cut off oxygen to her brain and allowed her to be <laughs> tied up. But weren't there multiple people that uh, kidnapped her? Somebody grabbed her, and the, but somebody else, and when she reached for the gun, somebody else's foot was over on the gun. Do you remember that? Because when she was on the horseback, it was only the two of them, yeah. but in the yurt, which it wasn't, but in the yurt, uh, what they call a yurt, it seemed that there was at least two people because she was being grappled with. And when she reached for the gun, there was a foot on top or something on top of the gun. It looked like two distinct people. He had Let's had say him. he like recruited a couple of friends to help him with that. Cause there's no way, like he's also like smaller than her and young, like there's no way that she wouldn't uh, kick the shit out of him. So let's say he had like two or three friends helping him. Did she take the headdress, headdress off to sleep or did she still have it on? I think she had the headdress off. <laughs> she had it on too when she was sleeping. No, yeah, I think that headdress was off, but then it was on again when she was on the horse. 
Okay, so she stopped to put the headdress back on, or a boo put the headdress. Oh, probably because of the veil. Yeah, they, they, he still needed to hide the fact that she was a woman, so he probably dressed her in that headdress, and then off they went. So next shitty thing, this idea that it's okay to kidnap and sell people if you're doing it for love. You know, that was also a great message to tell young men when Sam was like, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I know now that I know why he did it. I'm like, no, still pretty bad to do that. And still not okay, even if you're doing it for love. And also that like, you know, the women that are loved deserve to be saved, right? Like Abu's doing it because he loves Naya and Mughal is such a good man because he has one wife and he did it for love. And I'm like, okay, so the women who don't get love, fuck them. We don't care if they're sold and raped and whatever. It's all about love. I was wondering, did they go to Turgan's camp and then free those women as well? Free with bunny ears, free those women as well. <laughs> At the end, they just freed uh, Mogul's people, right? Or his women. But they weren't even free. They just dropped the the rugs, the two rugs. <laughs> at, at his direction, right? Because he said they are now allowed to be free. So that's real freedom, obviously. So what if they burn the dinner? Then I guess, they, I guess the veil comes back on and the, the rugs go up, I, I guess. Let me tell you a little bit about the Mongol Empire, which ran from 1206 to 1368. Women there had significantly, you know, for the time, uh, this is all relative. (laughs) Obviously, they're not in the streets voting and driving. They had significant more, significantly more rights than women in the East and the West. If you take into account that they could inherit property, women could inherit property. They could also be shamans. If they were married to senior tribal leaders, they even had a voice at tribal meetings and could speak and give their opinions. They were allowed, this is, this goes straight to the, um, this episode. They were allowed to eat with everybody. Everybody, yeah, I know, right? You didn't have to eat your dinner behind a rug. You were allowed to eat with everybody. And they were part, they were warriors. Their responsibilities at camp directly related to the ability for the men to go out and raid and create warfare and hunt. The woman would also be able to inherit her husband's property at death, the property that went to her as a widow would go to the youngest son. During the Mongol empire, they could even get a divorce. And of course, there were no face coverings at all, not even ceremonial. And to put this in perspective, again, this is from 1206 to 1368. Women in the UK were not allowed to own or control property until 1882 with the Married Women's Property Act. Why are we watching an episode that... And this is one of the things that we talked about, I believe in episode one, about the museumification of minority cultures, of non-white cultures, uh, saying that, look how backwards they are, look how they treat their women, when it's not even true. Like, the white cultures were worse to their women for, what, 500 years. The The Mongol women had more rights than white women in the UK. The women in on this episode I mean, how many women did we see? Like we said, like 10, 15 different women. They said literally not a damn word except for Naya. Yeah, even um, Mogul's wife, who was supposedly free, 
didn't say anything at all. I think we saw her smile at them and that was it. Yeah, it must, I mean, I really feel bad for the, the poor Asian actors in the show. I think that must have sucked all around. Like the guys have to play these characters and the women don't even get to say anything. To me, this also smacked of Islamophobia, like, but you're taking a non-white culture and it could, it could be, I don't think there's any particular reason it was the Mongol culture. It was just like, oh, let's just take some backwards non-white people and put them in this context, make them really, really sexist. And if they're not in real life, it doesn't matter. We'll just pretend it's like what we think it is like to be a Muslim woman in a Muslim country. <clears throat> and they just imported, you know, they imported that so that, so that these, you know, sort of enlightened white people get to be the saviors not learn about them, not, you know, just, just so that they could save the day and everyone will thank them for saving the day. And also like canon wise for the story. So the Mongol culture that this is emulating or, or supposed to be based on is from 13, you said 1300? 1206 to 1368. So that's like 4,000 years after the Gould Stargate was gone, right? So this is, I think the first time in the show. So back to the show's canon. Like this is the first time we were talking about a culture that isn't based on ancient Egypt. So they're clearly trying to branch out and say, okay, it's not just Egyptians and they're trying to be Egyptian gods. It's actually humans from all over the place. But this means the Goulds were on earth as recently as what, a thousand years ago, less than a thousand years ago, still taking people off presumably in ships because the Stargate was buried. So that's a big jump in sort of our understanding of the Gould and their role on earth. Yeah, and Daniel didn't understand that or he didn't get that. So in summary, what do you guys think? How many chevrons would you rate this episode? This is a zero chevron episode. <laughs> Sorry. Is that, is that possible on a Stargate? Not connected to a power source for this episode. There are no chevrons lighting up. I agree. There are, there are moments that I liked in this episode, but those moments amounted to maybe three seconds. And that was the, the shipper moments. And then the, um, the line at the end from Teal referencing Oprah. But that is it. And that does not make one chevron. It does not make a half. It still amounts to zero chevrons for me. What about you, Malika? I give it negative chevrons, as in the Mongol women rose, took off their face coverings, screamed at the top of their lungs, and broke the gate down into little tiny pieces. So it's negative. It's just <laughs> crumbled rocks on the ground. Would this episode have been made today? I hope not. I hope not. I really can't imagine a circumstance in which somebody would have said this is acceptable to put on television, in, like in an unironic, not tongue-in-cheek way. It would not. I think that at this point in time, especially after all of the racism that Asian people have suffered with the pandemic, this is extreme Asian hate. I mean, obviously they didn't know back in 1997. They should have known. They should have done better. I was trying to wrap my brain for something equally unwoke that happened maybe in the last like three years. I kind of feel that, or even a little bit, maybe 10 to 15 years. I kind of think that the level of sexism kind of reminds me a little bit of Entourage. I, I saw a couple seasons and I thought it was just absolute trash, just trash. And I don't think it would be written after me too, but this, it, Entourage definitely came about after this. 
So these old garbage tropes about women, about minorities, it has been recycled for many, many years. I think it was uh, Harold from Harold and Kumar did this Instagram, like a run of Instagram pictures where he would, I don't know if it was him or if it was other Asian American men, he would Photoshop them into uh, superhero roles and action hero roles. And you're just like, I can't believe I, I haven't seen this before. I watch a lot of uh, South Korean shows. I don't know why I just do. <laughs> and it is so fucking refreshing to see these super hot action guys and they are no, they're not one white face in all of these shows. And just the idea of Gong Yo, you guys have to Google him. He is phenomenal. He is hot. He is tall. He is muscular. He, even in zero gravity, his hair is perfect. <laughs> it never flies up. He's, <laughs> he, I mean, and just to think, why is he not here? Why are we not making movies with him? He is so much hotter than, you know, most of the men that we have in our TV shows and movies here. It's because of of racism, period. All right, so what do we have for next week? Next week, we will be discussing the Broca Divide, which I think is an interesting episode. And Malika, you've put in the work, the, the first three episodes, I think, are grueling for different reasons. And now we get to see some fun stuff. Okay, good. We'll see you next week, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye. This whole episode makes me think of that book by Edward Said called Orientalism. You might say the animus in the book derived from the tremendous gap I felt between these accounts of the Orient that were Western accounts from the outside and my own experience. Please like us. Oh, and follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole or Twitter at Probing the Wormhole or Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also get in touch with us at our website, probingthewormhole.com.